Today I'm joined by Penelope, who is a transformational coach, um, a successful author, and who also train who is also a trainer of um, individuals in leadership positions, uh, as well as holding international seminars and conferences. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please, could we start by um, hearing more about your background? Thank you for having me, Anum. I am honored to be with you on this podcast. I am a Greek Cypriot. I was born and raised in Cyprus. Um, I spent most of my time in this tiny country. Um, I studied, my studies uh, started distance learning, and then I decided that I wanted to learn more about how to change my scarcity mindset into a more growth mindset. So I started this journey on personal development. Oh my gosh, I think it was around 25 years ago. And along the way, because I always wanted to be good at what I do, I studied different. Um, I took different degrees to be to excel in my corporate career because I used to work in corporate for 20 years. I finished my career when I was 40 years old in 2013, and I decided to start my own business and do what I love. And what I love is to train people to change their mindset and to believe in themselves. So I'm concentrating more and more in helping people create what they love in life. And this is what I do. And I really enjoyed it. It comes down to mindset. It comes down to our thinking. The more positive thoughts we have, the better results we create. The more we understand how the mind works, we are able to become more resilient. We are able to understand that our challenges are not our misfortunes, but they are our chances and driving force for our success. Well, that's powerful. That's really powerful and meaningful. Um, and during your coaching practice, um, the transformational aspect of it, how do you address the specific challenges and opportunities that women may face in their personal and professional lives? That's a great question. We, basically as women, we have been taught from very young age to believe certain things, to believe that we have to work double hard to prove our worth, that um, in some cultures, we are not equal with men. And the way I work with uh, my clients is to help them understand that they are not lacking something. That we are capable and equal. And it comes down how much we want to work to change our belief systems, how much we want to 
push through the boundaries to step out of our comfort zones, but also it's a matter of how we approach things, how we approach situations. We believe that we have to choose between motherhood if we are mothers and careers. And it doesn't have to be like this. We can combine both if we change the way we do think and do things. So this is where I am concentrating most of the time to help women understand that everything starts from here and here and that we can change things if we want to. Absolutely. And I think it's so important what you said that when you become a mother, you know, it's not limiting. In fact, I think as motherhood, you gain a lot of skills in terms of being practical, resilience, sometimes being a little bit fierce, you know, and in sort of dealing with a lot of different things, balancing. And it's it's that unique skill set and that mm. every mother has a has her own unique skill set that can sort of advance a woman's career if she chooses to pursue her career further. And also, personally, I believe as a mother, it's really important for your children to see you as a person as well, um, so that there's no resentment that's yeah. being withheld, so they can live freer lives full of confidence in when we free ourselves, when we have confidence with ourselves to pursue our dreams. I think that creates a really positive cyclic um, generational impact and it allows our daughters to go forward it allows our sons to move forward in life with courage with success as well as is their right um can you share an example of a client success story uh, where your coaching had a significant impact on their life how did you help them achieve their goals mm. okay so one of my clients, she had a very good position in a corporate uh, firm. But she found that she was putting on weight. And she wanted to deal with that, how to commit in becoming more healthy. And... We started talking and during our sessions, and this is this is what makes my work so rewarding. You start concentrating on one thing, but in reality, that's not the problem. The problem goes layers deep deeper. So during our sessions, we discovered that she had no boundaries around work she allowed her family to interfere in her family life to try to tell her what to do how to do things and she had this idea of i need to do everything <laughs> so from health we moved to understand what we were doing we went deeper and we cleared lots of beliefs and lots of situations that happened in a younger age and 
they were affecting her now in when as an adult. And now she's actually started working out again. She's looking after herself. She set up boundaries around her to guard her time. She changed lots of things that they were happening and they were draining her. And so she can she she created a new way, a new style of balancing her demanding work and her family life. And generally, she is more happy. And this is one of the examples that shows what we think is the problem is never the problem. It's what's underneath that creates most of the time our troubles. Absolutely. There's all these layers and it's really up that you mentioned women and boundaries because oftentimes it's difficult for women, some women to have boundaries, especially if they're in nurturing roles because I think sometimes as I speak from a personal sense as a woman, I want everybody to be happy. I would like everybody to be looked after and it's just a case of, you know, you just want to make this world a nice, bubbly, happy place. And sometimes it's kind of realizing, no, we do need to draw the line and sort of need to look after yourself. Because if you look after yourself, then you're more able to kind of look after the people around you if this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a guilt, you know, there's this, the the, the working mother guilt uh, yeah. that we carry on our shoulders and uh, this constant guilt of, you know, well, am I doing enough in a personal sense? Am I doing enough in a professional sense? And I think it's this is something very intangible. Women feel it. Society mm-hmm. feels it as well. But it's just one of these things that it's like an invisible thread that kind of just goes through time. And it's only now when we start having conversations like this and we can kind of think about, well, what kind of support can we have for working mothers and also, you know, not just working mothers, but what about women who have disabilities and they have families or they're, or mothers that are the sole breadwinners who have the responsibility of the whole family on them and they have to kind of meander through all these different ro- uh, rules and roles to not only survive but th- thrive. And equally, should they choose to make an impact on the world, then they get the entire persona questioned and I think that also comes around in boundaries to be able to say no well I can define myself Um, yeah so it's so important what you're doing how do you yourself integrate self-care and personal development practices into your own life and how does that influence your coaching practice and approach a lot um I used to be a woman without boundaries you know, I wanted to serve everyone. I wanted to give, to help. And I wasn't prioritizing myself. And I got burned out. <laughs> I was so tired all the time. And because I was tired, I was angry. I Sometimes I wasn't a good mother because, you know, I had so much going on. And I felt so physically tired and mentally that I couldn't give to my two kids the attention that they wanted from me. 
not even to my husband. So I changed. Now I prioritize myself because I've understood that if I want to be a good mother, if I want to be a good leader, if I want to be a good wife, if I want to have this beautiful life and have my health, I need to prioritize me. And it took a lot of work to to change, to have this mindset shift that by putting me first is not um, selfish because we have this idea and we have this belief that if I take some time off to relax, maybe to go for a walk on my own or to sleep for half an hour because I'm tired or whatever it is that I want to do for me is selfish. And lots of women feel this and they try to accommodate it by trying to help everyone else first, meet everybody's needs first. And if they have time, they will tend to themselves. And this is not how it works. So now I have actually scheduled on my calendar me time. I, I label it me time. So that time is for me. <laughs> and I know when I devote time to me, I can do the things that I want and I can give the attention, my presence, my love to my people, to the people that they matter the most to me, to my kids, to my husband, to my family, to my friends, to my clients. I am a better coach, a better leader because I take time for me and it's non-negotiable. I know it's not negotiable. I don't negotiate that time. The minutes on my calendar is like a meeting with the most important client and that client is me. So this is how I self-care and I feel good. You know, we all heard the saying, put your oxygen mask first. This is what it means. Look after yourself, pay attention to your health, pay attention to what you need so you can give the things that you want to give to others. That's really lovely and very important. Do you know, when we look at resources or when we look at if you're looking at starting a business or if you're looking at somebody doing well, you tend to put the best in when you want it, something, a process, an organization to do well. Similarly with people, if you invest in them with happiness and if you invest in them with care, the productivity and the results that you're going to get are just going to be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is, you know, even if you look at all the research and statistics out there, it is backed by science, whereas compared to something that you kind of really, it's drawn out, it's dragged down, it's, it's going to be a little bit stressed out, it's going to be less productive. So making people happy does increase their productivity, fulfilling their needs, giving them what they need, the tools that they need, or the resources that they need, or whatever they need, and just making them happy, you will see a phenomenal success rate, then there's no difference between that other person or that other organization or ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes if you think about that, that yes, even if you think of yourself as an engine, for instance, with all the things that we have to get done, the engine does need to get oiled, you know, so you do need to any 
any object that we look at, for instance, you know, a non-living thing, it needs some maintenance, you know, when you buy products, there's always maintenance of warranty. We are human beings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we are living beings. So if non-living things, objects, products need maintenance and they need care, then obviously it us as human beings, there is far more, far more mm. that needs to be invested. And again, that investment in our own selves, that pays dividends in the long run. And it's so important that you're saying this. And I think a lot of working women, a lot of working mothers and um, a working professional woman or women that um, are, are learning at home or, you know, the lifestyle that they've chosen because each woman has a choice to her own pathway. And that's valid, you know, because we are given choice in life. We are given choice in life and this is our right. So this is this is so important what you've what you've said so how do you tailor your transformational coaching strategies to meet the unique needs and aspirations of each individual client i spend time to get to know my client i spend time to ask them questions to understand what's really going on I go deep and I try to find the root of the problem and I don't care about time. Sometimes my calls are 20 minutes, other times they are over an hour and it's okay. I give my clients the attention that they need to help them re uh, reach a breakthrough because each client is unique. Each one of us has different needs, different challenges that we need to work and understand and work through. And there is not one fit for one fit all approach. Depending on the problem that we have, I am able to see what technique I need to use, what questions I need to ask. And to reach this level is an ongoing learning for me. It's not like I've trained to become a coach or I've trained on le different leadership styles and different leadership um, methods and that's it. I am a student of my profession. I read a lot. I attend a lot of seminars. I I work on myself to be able to serve my clients the best way I can. There's this organic authenticity about you, Penelope, and it's so lovely to see. And there is this aura of an academic around you as well, being a seeker of knowledge and kind of dispersing that knowledge, whether that's sort of transforming lives or, you know, um, visionary leadership, for instance, that really makes an impact because I can see your heart's really into it. You yourself practice that and you yourself are kind of, you know, leading yourself and sort of helping other individuals do that, which is so beautiful and so noble. Um, as a female transformational coach, how do you handle societal uh, expectations and stereotypes that can impact women's personal and professional growth? Hmm. I challenge them. <laughs> 
Now I challenge them. Years back, I believed them. And they hold me back. All these stereotypes and all the biases around women. And working in the corporate world where it's a male-dominated world, I experienced firsthand what it means to try to excel in your career and always be compared to a man. And I saw many, many women, and I was one of them at the beginning, falling to the trap of adopting masculine traits, becoming more aggressive, more competitive, which is so wrong because it's like trying to be someone else and forcing our true nature to become something different to fit in. And that's not what an authentic leadership is in a woman's form. Women, we are more empathetic. We love authenticity. We love collaboration. So when we fall into the trap of becoming competitive, aggressive, distancing our emotions, we suffer. We might not understand it, but our body suffers and we suffer as well. We become stiff. We become angry. We have all these outbursts without understanding why do why do we act like this? So being an authentic leader means that you understand that you don't have to change. You work on the beliefs you have about yourself and you take a stance powerfully by by proving that this is who I am, this is my results, and I'm not less than. I am enough. But for others to believe that we are enough, we must believe it first. We must believe that we are worthy. We must believe that we don't need to fix ourselves, change ourselves. We must believe in our own power, in our will to give, and we can give, and we can contribute if we stay true to ourselves. Wow, absolutely amazed. And it's absolutely, you know, there's this kind of this hard competitiveness, and sometimes I kind of think, well, why does it have to be about winning or losing? You know, why can't everybody win in some sense of the word? There can be wins for everyone. Nobody mm-hmm. has to lose because what's good in putting another human being down? Like, no, you want to share your success. You want everybody to all around. And that way it, it's increased. And it's really interesting. It reminds me, um, there's a little quote from uh, Shakespeare in Love where I think Jane Judy Dench was playing the role of um, Queen Elizabeth. I mean, we had to study for Jesus English literature, you know. Um, and she said a very interesting line. I'm paraphrasing. I think she said, you know, she's playing a man's role, being the queen. And and really, Penelope, the amount of times I've personally had a be strong fight, 
And I'm always mm. thinking at the back of my mind, what do I need to fight? It's not in my nature to fight because I'm somebody who's very spiritual. And when I look at the scriptures, they said, forgive, let go. And I'm so person, okay, live and let live and let go because God will give you justice. And you just kind of, you know, do, do, doesn't mean I don't stand up for myself. I do. I really know how to stand up for myself. But if I'm letting things go, it's not because I had a weakness. That's mm-hmm. coming from a sense of feminine power. And yep. it's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes oh, you're soft and feminine. This is an intrinsic nature of being a woman, you know, to be soft and feminine. Why would you want to change that? And like you said, it does have a somatic effect. It does have a physical effect. Now, saying this, women have, for instance, monthly cycles that affects their hormones, that affects their moods. Since the kind of teenagers right to right through to, you know through the decades, this is something that's even recognized coming from a faith based even in the faith scriptures as well. So if the just coming from an interfaith, if the creator is recognizing this is how a woman is, do we know more as human beings? I think as humans, there is so much that we don't know that we are still learning. I mean, four hundred years ago, theories were that the earth was square and you're going to fall off at the end of the earth. In the Tudor time, that was the prevailing myth, you know. So there's all these myths that a woman has to be hard and and there's a lot of literature out there, and I can't repeat the titles, (laughs) how to be a, you know, woman, to be how to kind of boss, but be a boss lady. No, you, you can be a soft, kind, compassionate, giving woman who wants everybody to succeed. When I've for instance, been in leadership roles, I've always looked at the people that I worked with, whether male or female, how can I train them or give them skills that will enable them to one day not only take my position, but to surpass it. Because yeah. that's what leadership is about, creating more leaders, not suppressing people. And g- touching back on what you've said about being in the corporate world, well, there's a lot of research about the tall poppy syndrome. So when Mm. we get these women being successful, when we get these women being kind of very vocal, uh, being very kind of gifted, making an impact, they're cut down because they they stand out. And, uh, And the elephant in the room, Penelope, is professional jealousy. It unfortunately kills organizations like it's the weed it's the silent weed professional jealousy is the silent weed that limits not organizations regions countries and Mm -hmm. it stunts them globally because talent is talent if you cannot retain your talent that says about you as an individual as an organization and as a region or a country or on the global sphere because we need to kind of have these inclusive policies to kind of say, well, yes, you can be a woman. You know, there's a lot of marketing Penelope out there about women's right and women's empowerment. And this is how women feel here. And this is what women love about. Well, actually look at the ground reality. Are you trying to turn these women into these hard stone-like creatures, which is not their nature? It's okay to be soft and empathetic and not be gaslighted as emotional because emotional intelligence, quote me, and I say this on record, <laughs> emotional intelligence moving forward will be a big thing. 
because yeah. we have automation in terms of artificial intelligence is going to do all your data analysis and automate processes we will have this return and great value in what is it being a human we see yeah. global mental crisis in developed mm-hmm. nations we see people crying out for help and this is not just in countries where there is low socio economic um growth for example i'm a british citizen and there is a lot of talk about mental health crisis hospitals are chock a block full of it and it's spreading and it's happening because maybe as humans we're looking for that authentic experience of simply being a human which connection exactly we want connection we want to be heard we want to be valued we want to be understood and we want connection absolutely and that's why and emotional intelligence breeds trust and and organizations that they don't understand this they lose good people there is so much uh employee rotation and it was happening years back when i used to work in the corporate world and now it's even worse people come and good good employees they come and go because when they don't find an environment that they value their employees they move on and who lo- who who is at loss also financial loss as well because it costs companies to train employees continuously and expect them you know to start working to be productive and then they go and they move on to find some something different and you're right there is a crisis a crisis around the world um people want more and i think it became more obvious during the last uh, pandemic where we were <laughs> alone in uh, in our homes and it multiplied this need of trust authenticity and true connection absolutely and i think it also links to power penalty because now we have hierarchical structures i mean i come from an educational background and sometimes you kind of think well the, it's too rigid especially in the education sector you have te- teachers are leaders they're shaping future minds you know i mean in uk you've got teaching unions and you, they've got lots and lots of stories and lots that's going on but just as an analogy we're not cattle we're not some some something that needs to be kind of branded or kind of really reined in we're dealing mm. with human beings and force and control and rigid hierarchy and you know this is something that maybe in the tudor times of 300 years ago would have worked everybody has power now everybody has intellect intellectual reason you know we are not living in times of a uh, colonial era of slavery for instance where mm-hmm. we can think oh yes we can kind of impose things on people and that's acceptable no we need to kind of really understand that hierarchical structure also needs to evolve because i still cannot believe a lot of times maslow's hierarchy of needs is communicated yes it's a theory but it's an outdated theory 
And mm -hmm. there are more theories that have evolved. And if you look at organizational structure, goodness, it, the, the pyramid needs to change because it's um, too often what ends up happening is, unfortunately, through connections, you have these managerial spots being filled in, which doesn't align with competency. Because it yeah. doesn't align with competency, what happens is then these managers start becoming fearful of the people that are more competent under them, which means that the tall poppy syndrome comes in, especially when it's linked to women. And then when you're affecting women, you're not just affecting if it's a working mother, you're not just affecting the woman, you're affecting all these children, all these lives that are connected to her, and you're not stressing her out. It's an, it's an impact, as you would have seen as a working mother yourself in the corporate industry. So I think there needs to be some sort of global shift. And it is coming, this global shift, towards hierarchy in the workplace and kind of thinking about leadership in the workplace and maybe rotating leadership because that would get rid of nepotism, that would get rid of alliances, that would get rid of cliques. All of these are the modern weeds that are mm. really restricting organizations and breeding incompetency. When you yeah. rotate the manager and when you break these alliances, then you will see exactly who is competent at doing the job and who is not and this will also refresh the organization rather than having this still you know people that have been in there for five to ten years they know how the system works it's milked basically and it's not great for the new batch to come in the new kind of initiates that have to go through the ritual of the mm. office politics or the work politics and to be honest, everybody loses in that scenario. We want to create win-win situations, winning for the employee, for the manager, for the organization. I think that will come from a thorough analysis of hierarchy, rotation of the manager, and you know, giving people opportunities. So can you describe, or oh, this links nicely onto resilience, actually, can you describe your approach to helping clients develop resilience and overcome obstacles in their lives? How do you support clients in navigating challenges and setbacks? Basically, I help them see that challenges are not failures. If you don't fail, you don't succeed. And we have many examples in history that shows exactly this. I mean, all great inventions, how many times the inventors have failed. Numerous times. So I, I give them a method, actually. I, I help them to reflect. Reflect on their failures. And when you sit down and actually you stop judging yourself, because every time we fail, it's in our human nature. And if we are a woman as well, to go straight to judgment. So instead of going to judgment, we reflect and we go through, okay, let's see what worked. What worked in this situation? What worked that out of the 100 things that happened, a portion, a percentage of them worked. So we focus on the positive first. And then we go to what didn't work. Where we miss something or we should have approached it differently. And here is when the growth happens. 
because the mind opens up when you start asking different questions. You remove the judgment, you remove the disappointment, and you see the situation like a surgeon. This is my patient now, and I need to figure out where where is the problem and how can I fix it? So by what didn't work, you recognize the areas that you need to try something different, you need to learn from, you need to improve. And then the next question is, what can I do better next time? So we are failing forward every time, let's just say. Every failure is not 10 steps back, it's a step forward to closer to our outcome. So this is how we become resilient. We don't focus on the disappointment. Yes, it's in our human nature to be disappointed. We know that life is not always good, is not always happy. It's 50-50. But the attitude we bring on the 50% of life that is challenging is what is going to give us the result that we want. So, and I do it with my kids as well, with their exams now. This is exam period for us here. And I have a son that he's stressing a lot about his exams. And he's like, okay, let's go back to your previous test. What worked? What didn't work? How could you do this thing different? What did you miss here? Is it the fact that you didn't study enough or... You didn't pay attention, to take notes. And yes, we're going to face failure again. <laughs> it's normal. It's natural. But we learn and we move on. And I prefer personally to try and fail and learn and evolve and grow rather than try once and give up. Because failure happens when you give up. As long as you keep trying, you are growing. You are becoming a better human being. You are working on your resilience. You're working on your commitment. You're working on your focus. You're learning and you're moving forward. And that's so powerful. Absolutely. I love what you said. Fell forward think when you start failing forward you're actually going towards your dream your dream's going mm -hmm. to come true it's just that this is kind of the stumbling way to kind of do it you know maybe if you wanted things to be fast forwarded maybe this failure is fast forwarding for you from the universe without you realizing it so absolutely and it's about growth and kind of also realizing that that progress is going to come and sometimes you know the universe shakes us up Mm -hmm. sometimes it also is I think personally it's linked to self-esteem there's a lovely quote by Michelangelo you know the greatest fear for most of us is not that we aim too high and miss it but that we aim too low and reach it and that's yeah. what it is I think also personally maybe as a working mother I always think okay let's just go for the safe thing that's that needs to get done but why not? Why not? Why not be a working mother? Why not be an entrepreneur? Why not be a successful educationalist? Why not have our own media company and go into other ventures? Why not? There's nothing really stopping us. Yes, there might be a lack of resources, but those resources will develop. They will come. 
because nothing stays the same. And my foster mother, Carmen, would always say, she'd say, Anum, you will be, you will, unless you learn the lesson, you'll go through the same situation again, or you'll be mm. tested until you're able to deal with that, until you're able to say, okay, no, now I know, okay, now I can set my boundaries, for example, if that's the lesson that you're learning, or now I know how to stand up for myself, or now I know to look for the detail, now I know that I can say no, and it's okay, I don't have to say yes and accept, because for the sake of it, you know, now I know, I can choose what I would like, and I can say no to this, and I can have a choice and say, this is what I want, and this is what I want to accept, so this is, this is fantastic, Penelope, um, what about yourself? what does the future hold for you what are your future aspirations dreams or sort of looking to the future i had this uh, vision last year and i've been in this profession for close to 10 years now and i was stumbling and hustling and you know taking lots of steps forward failing forward over time but over the last couple of years, I've decided that what I would love to do is to create this community of women that we come together and we use our voice. We trust ourselves, we express, and we learn to support each other. So we are coming back home to our true nature, to our feminine power. Because when we are feminine, we are powerful. When we are trying to be masculine, we are weak. And this is a fact. So I would love to create this community where as women, we are heard, we are supported, we are seen, we are understood. And it won't happen until we see ourselves the way we want to see them. We love ourselves the way we want to be loved. We appreciate ourselves the way we want others to appreciate us. So everything needs to start from us first. We need to give ourselves what we want others to give us. So. I'm working on creating this community and I am researching for my next book, which I am so excited about. And thank you for being one of the contributors uh, to that, to this research that I am doing. And I love what I do. And I really do love what I do. And because I've been there, and I know the pain and I know the uncertainty and I know the frustration and I know the injustice to work hard, to be in the same position. And because there is a man in the same position and level as you, they pick the man because it's a man. No, it doesn't have to. We are equal in everything. So. Women need to understand that being a woman in our feminine essence is power. 
And if we want to change these biases, stereotypes, and everything that's happening, we have to change and then train the younger generation. We are not going to change the older generation. We're going to change the younger ones. Not by words, but by example, by leading by example. Because actions speak louder than words. 